You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and I'm thrilled today to have a special guest with us who knows a heck of a lot about budgeting, something I've been writing about a bit on the blog lately. You know, I've talked a lot about how to make more and earn more on the side over the last few months, and this guest knows quite a bit about that as well. But this week, we just posted my uh, my big, super epic post on everything budgeting, and I want to keep that topic going and, and keep the discussion going on that. So today, I have a guest, Deacon Hayes. He's someone I know through the FinCon community, who I'm actually going to see get to high-five in person in a few weeks. Today, we can only digital high-five. But Deacon is here with us, and he runs a site called Well-Kept Wallet, which we'll talk all about in a few minutes. So say hello, Deacon, to the... Uh, to the many listeners. <laughs> Hello, many listeners. So uh, Deacon is in the Phoenix area. Is that that's right? Right. That is correct. Yeah. Cool. So how did you uh, get started in the uh, in the personal finance world? Well, it's kind of hot in Arizona, so you got to find things to do indoors. And no, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's funny. I was actually a wood flooring salesman. And when my wife and I got married, you know, we, we decided to combine our finances. And at that point, you know, we realized we had $52,000 in consumer debt outside of mortgages. And so at that point, uh, I just started researching, um, you know, better money habits because we had really bad money habits. And, and so, you know, and then we decided through that process, let's set a goal. We want to pay off our debt in 18 months. And so um, we really just kind of put together this plan and I created this website, Well-Kept Wallet, to kind of track our journey and, and kind of be an encouragement to people uh, as we were paying off our debt. Well, so speaking of it being hot in Phoenix, two things. First, my mom went to school. She went to college in, uh, in the Phoenix area. She went to Arizona State. And is it true that she told me that people's windows would blow up because it's so hot from the uh, pressure in the summer? Is that is that you ever see that happen? In the 21st century, I don't think that's that's happened. But possibly in the 20th century, it was it was possible. Yes, it's, uh, it was like, wow, it's crazy. She, I mean, she was there, I won't say how long ago, but she was there, <laughs> she was there a couple of years ago and um, said that uh, people would come out to their cars on a really hot day after class or after work. And it was like, you know, 197 degrees or whatever it gets to be out there. And they would get out to their car and the windows would have blown out if they hadn't cracked them. So funny thing. But also speaking of hot, we want to keep it cool. You know, I will say personal finance should be fun and uh, you should let loose a little. So Deacon and I are having a virtual beer together. We're actually having real beers, but virtually toasting them. I am having a, you know, I have a lot of Oregon beers living in Portland, but I'm, I'm going to my old, old home state, Colorado. I'm having a new Belgium slow ride session IPA. I like it because it's got you know, all those good hoppy IPA flavors, but a session beer, for those who don't know, is a lot lower alcohol content, which I know some people say, oh, where's the fun in that? But you know, hey, I'm recording a podcast. I have to uh, keep on the up and up, right? So, so that's what I'm having. How about you, Deacon? What are you drinking? You know, I'm just going with a good old standard Blue Moon Belgian white, Belgian style wheat ale. Uh, that's kind of my go-to. I actually have a, that's actually also a beer with Colorado roots. Um, New Belgium is from Fort Collins. It's one of the it's bigger craft breweries from the state, but um, the Blue Moon Brewing Company was actually founded 
inside of Coors Field where the Rockies play, the baseball team. No and kidding. It ended up being bought by Coors, and that's why it's so big and you can find it everywhere. But the original recipe is the same original recipe. And if you're ever in Denver and you are downtown when there's when it's baseball season, you can go to the Blue Moon Brewing Company. It's still there and uh, get a Blue Moon where they made them. So it's kind of a fun little uh, tidbit about your beer. <laughs> well, I will put that on my bucket list, man. Thanks for the heads up. Oh, for sure. So, uh, so, so we're talking about budgeting. I mean, you said you paid off $52,000 in consumer debt. I'm guessing that's mostly credit card type debt. Is that right? Credit card, student loans we put into that consumer debt area okay. and uh, also um, a car loan. Okay. So, those are all things that a lot of people have had to deal with. And when you're dealing with debt, you know, or any, any real personal finance situation, there's kind of the, the two sides, the input and the output. The input being how much you earn, the output being the budget. So, how when you decided to start tackling this debt, where was your first focus? You know, the first thing uh, that I focused on was creating what I called a financial game plan. And it was kind of, you know, I, I really didn't know a lot about personal finance. So, I actually put my net worth statement on my budget. And I called that a financial game plan. So, uh, <laughs> I wanted to have one piece of paper that I can look at with my wife and say, hey, where are we at this month? Not just with our income and our expenses, but with our debt and you know our assets because that really was important to us because it was motivating every time we saw that our debt was increasing and our net worth, our debt was decreasing and our net worth was increasing. So, so I created that forum and you know, every, we'd actually go over it every week um, and talk about it. Um, and one of the first things that we did was go line by line on the expense side and say, do we need this? And if we do, how can we make that smaller? And so I think that focused part of going on every line of the budget and either eliminating it or making it smaller was was huge for us. Were there any specific big wins that jumped out that early on you were like, done with this, done with this, just marking it out with the, the black pen or the red pen or whatever pen? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, cable was the first thing that went. And it was one of those things where, you know, and I don't even think we had Netflix at the time. It was just, you know, we could have basic TV, not have to have cable and that was free. And, um, you know, we were newlyweds, so we could go out and, you know, do stuff and, you know, hang out with family and that kind of stuff. So, um, really cutting the cable. Um, also, a gym membership, you know, I don't know about you, but I, you know, back then I wasn't really active in a gym. I have a gym membership now, but that was one of the things where I said, Hey, you know what? I can go run outside. I can find other ways to be physically active, go hike Camelback Mountain, which is a, a mountain that's pretty well known in Arizona. And so, um, you know, we got rid of those, those type of things. Um, and, and the big thing was actually the car. You know, when I looked at that and I thought, okay, the car payment was like 360 bucks a month. Plus on top of that, my insurance cost significantly more because it was a brand new vehicle. And plus on top of that, the registration cost even more. So I just thought, man, if I could just get rid of that car, that would be probably about $400 a month in savings, which is almost five grand a year, you know? That's and for huge. us, yeah, for being newlyweds, we're like five grand a year. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So <laughs> you know, we, we were on a journey to figure out how do we get rid of the car, even though it was upside down. So um, that, that was kind of one of the big things that we actually ended up getting rid of and coming up with the difference uh, that freed up that extra 400 bucks a month. Hey, that's so that's if we add up that cash flow from just those few changes, 400 a month from, from the car was about 50, 100 bucks a month from the cable. Let's say 100 just to make it easy rounding in the gym membership, or I guess if we add that to it, it's like $500 a month you came up with right away. 
that um, that you were able to save. So that's that's a big lesson to a lot of people, I think. You know, I I cut cable myself. I I cut it. I have to think back a few years. I was I was still single, living on my own. But I thought, you know, I'm spending seventy dollars a month to giving just giving the money to Comcast. And you know, I did watch TV, but how much did I really watch it that I needed it? And I already did have Netflix. I actually found one of the coolest things for me when I cut cable wasn't just saving seventy bucks a month, though. You know, that, that's a lot of money that I definitely enjoy having. Uh, one part of it I really enjoyed was I actually like, went out and did stuff. Like you were talking about going and hanging out with friends and family. Like I went out to sort of into happy hours, which yeah, there's a little bit of a cost, but less than seventy dollars a month, and um, was, was spending time with real people instead of staring at a screen. So that was a huge life benefit in addition to the financial benefit. So after you after you you know started all that budgeting, how long did it take you to pay off that debt and were there any other moves you made along the way that were really helpful? Yeah. So it, it took us 18 months. And you know that wasn't like a magical number. It was... I had read somewhere that the average person who kind of puts together a plan to get out of debt, got out of debt within 18 to 24 months. And I was like, okay, well, I feel like I'm... I mean, not that I'm above average, but like if, if someone can do it in 18 months, like we can do it in 18 months. So let's just figure it out, you know? And so, you know, let's just say... We, you know, we sell the car, we got an extra 500 bucks on top of what we were paying already. We've eliminated a few debts at that point in time. So the car was like 17 grand. So let's just say we went from 52 to 50 and then we sold the car and then now we're down in the thirties, right? We're at like 33 grand. And so now we went from 52 to 33 and we're feeling that momentum. And so, you know, we're selling stuff on Craigslist, selling stuff on eBay, just finding stuff that, you know, was in closets and drawers and cabinets and just sitting there collecting dust. And we're like, do we like kind of like with the budget, do we really need this? Right. And so uh, we sold a lot of stuff. And on top of that, anytime we got a windfall, right? Like, so we got tax returns, all that money went to go pay down debt. So it was like any, anytime extra money came in, we had a purpose and a plan, which was to pay off our debt. And so that really allowed us to to get that momentum and paid off in 18 months. So when you paid, did you did you target one specific loan or credit card first, or did you try to spread the wealth and pay them all down together? So we targeted one at a time and we used the debt snowball method. And, uh, you know, we found that to be really effective for us because we realized that our debt was, you know, a psychological problem that we just, we, we bought stuff that we couldn't afford and it was immediate gratification. And so we needed to, you know, use a method that was less mathematical and more psychological like the debt snowball. And so that, that was really helpful for us. Can you walk people through, if, if it, for people who don't know what the debt snowball is, can you walk people through what your logic process was and what order you paid things off? Sure. Yeah. So the debt snowball is where you list your debts on a piece of paper from smallest debt to largest debt, regardless of the interest rate. And so, you know, I think we had maybe some small credit cards, maybe 300, maybe 600, you know, things like that. So those were at the top. And so the idea was you took all of your extra money, you know, when I, um, if we sold something on Craigslist or eBay, we take that extra money, pay off a debt. Well, the beauty is using the debt snowball, we paid off our first debt probably within our first 30 days. So we saw progress early on to where we had like this confidence, like, hey, this is working, we can do this. Where, you know, there's another method that's called the debt avalanche where you pay off the highest interest rate first. Well, if that's a larger debt, 
and you feel like you're spinning your wheels, you're not making progress, it's easy to give up. So the beauty of the debt snowball is that it builds uh, momentum and confidence so that you feel like you're you're actually getting somewhere. And so it was funny because every time we paid off a debt, it was it was almost like a game. Like I had this this visual on our fridge and we it was a, an Excel spreadsheet, like a chart. And it said, you know, let's say October 52,000, you know, November 51,000, you know, and so it literally we could see our debt melt away on our fridge. So it was kind of like this game, right? Like we gamified it. And uh, so, you know, using the debt snowball, focusing uh, with every extra dollar paying off the smallest debt just really uh, was huge for us. That's great. You know, I'm a huge fan of, of either either debt snowball or avalanche. I think you know, if you if you go through the financial calculations, the paying off high interest debt first will make the most financial sense. But as you point out, the psychological part is huge and feeling like you have a win can mean a lot more than the you know $20 you save in interest. So if you are paying off any kind of you know big number of debt across multiple accounts, really think about what way is going to work best for you. Because there's like personal finance is personal. You know, there's never any right or wrong answer. It's what works for you. And um, you know, Deacon and his wife definitely found a way that worked for them. So that's awesome. I applaud you. you know, great job. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so, so on the other side of the coin, we've talked about budgeting. Have you taken any steps to try to, or while you were paying off the debt, you talked about selling your junk on, uh, or, or not junk necessarily, stuff that you didn't use or need anymore on uh, on eBay and Craigslist. Did you do anything else to try to bring more money in the door while you were paying down your debt? Yeah. So one thing that I ended up doing was getting a second job delivering pizzas. And so I remember when I was in college, I I delivered pizzas on the weekends and and at night. And I I knew that it was something that I could work just a, you know, two, three days a week. And it paid good money. I think I probably averaged, I don't know, 15 bucks an hour for a part-time job, which, you know, at that time was, was a decent side income, you know, and, you know, a couple of weeks worth of, of, paychecks or tips would pay off one of our debts, right? So that definitely gave us a little bit of help as well. That's great. So as you, if you were, if you were going to face this problem again, or talking to someone who's facing this problem, they have a bunch of debt, they feel overwhelmed, they don't know what to do. They, you know, have a full-time job and they're, um, they're getting by, but definitely not making any big progress in their debt. What advice would you have to give them now that you've done it? you didn't know in the beginning that could help them pay it off. You, you know, the funny thing is it's, it sounds so simple, but really uh, putting together a budget or tracking your, your expenditures, right? You know, it's, it's funny, I've lost weight before. And the, the thing that was key for me was to track my calorie intake. And so it's the same thing with, um, with finances. You know, if you, if you want to be able to figure out a financial goal and how you're going to get there, you have to track, you know, your spending and your income. Um, and so that was the first, first thing. And then once you do that, it's almost like this aha moment, like, oh my gosh, like, I know why I can't get ahead or why I'm not paying off my debt. It's because I eat out too much or I buy too much in groceries or I do too much, you know, when it comes to entertainment um, or I have, you know, too much unnecessary debt, like a car loan or whatever it might be. And so really, um, you know, putting together that budget, analyzing it, saying, okay, you know, 
how can I make this smaller? How can I make my financial picture better? And then creating a plan uh, to, you know, increase your income and decrease your expenses, whatever way that's, you know, works best for you. Maybe you can't deliver pizzas at night, but maybe you can deliver, you know, papers in the morning, right? Or maybe you can do something online. There's a lot of online opportunities where you can make money from the comfort of your home. So really just kind of mapping out that plan. And, and that's it. I mean, really, if you've got a, you've got a goal, right? Your goal is to pay off X amount of debt. Now it's just an equation, increasing your income, decreasing your expenses. And the more you do both of those, you know, the sooner you're going to pay off your debt. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so when you, when you were paying off your debt, when I started paying off my, my old student loans, that was my big debt payoff I did. I used mint.com. Now I use personal capital more uh, myself as a budgeting tool. Did you use any software budgeting tools? Did you go with the old school pen and paper? How did you track your budget and put it together in the beginning? So in the beginning, we did it in an Excel spreadsheet. And, uh, you know, I really liked that because I had full control over where everything was categorized and, and how the format was. Cause like I said, I wanted to see on one piece of paper, two numbers. If we had a deficit or a surplus. So if we were in the black or if we were in the red. And then if we had, if our net worth was increasing, you know, those were the two things I wanted to see on a regular basis. So, you know, the Excel spreadsheet allowed me to do that. Today, we fast forwarded, we use mint.com. But we take the information from Mint.com and we put it in our spreadsheet. So we get to see it the way that we want to see it. But Mint will help us in the categorizing and organizing and kind of get us 80% of the way there. So we use a combination of both. That's great. Actually, I've never heard someone doing that. Though I've seen the export features. I was wondering what I would use it for. That's a, that's a great way to do it. You know, there's, I know people who are very manual with their budgets and it works great for them. But for me, I know I wouldn't do it. You know, it just takes so much work and time. And with all these great free tools out there that'll categorize your spending, it's like, you know, it seems like a no brainer. You can use the time that you save to, you know, go make 20 bucks doing whatever it is that you're good at. <laughs> so uh, that's how I do it. When, so here's, here's another question, something that is more of a conversation topic. So I've talked a, a bit on the blog lately about the differences between budgeting at a very, very detailed level and kind of a mid-level, like where you say a detailed level would be budgeting for you know, restaurants and fast food and groceries, as an example. A mid-level would be saying just a food budget line where all those are rolled into one. Then you could also, if you are really on top of your spending, maybe even just do a high-level spending goal, as long as you're tracking towards that. Is there one of those that you think works best for you or for most people? I guess that's two questions. <laughs> yeah. So I really, I'm a fan of making it simple. You know, I think the more that you have to, the more complex it is, the less likely someone is to do it. Right. So, you know, for us, it was really simplifying it. And in fact, for the longest time, we put eating out in the entertainment um, category because we just felt like that was one of the things that we did for entertainment is we went out to restaurants, you know, and then every once in a while we go to movies um, and things like that. But so we just had that category combined them to make it simple. We have since kind of, uh, we, cause we've been doing it for a while for a number of years, we've kind of expanded. Um, so now we kind of have like a, a fast food slash eating out budget. Um, so, you know, it really is what works best for people, but I really encourage you, you know, if you're listening to this to make it simple, something that's doable, something that works for you. And then if, you know, once you get comfortable with it, maybe you can expand from there. Now, it's funny for me, I actually ended up doing the opposite. When I started with budgeting in the beginning, I was so inspired to 
knock out my debt. I had um, my, my grad school's estimated cost was about $90,000. And the student loans I left with was somewhere around $40,000. So that was my my big chunk of change I wanted to pay off before as quick as I could. And I was so inspired. I was like, I'm going to budget every single dollar and every single line. So I had uh, every possible breakout almost that I could, I had a budget for. And over time, I've lumped things together more and more and made it more simple, especially now that I don't have the big debt anymore. I feel like I don't have to put the time in that I did before as long as I know my spending is still under control. Though I know, you know for some people, the opposite's the case. So it's really a, uh, it's been a, a find what works right for me. And especially now, you know, we're, we're both married, you know, before I, when I was paying off my debt, I was a single guy. Now I'm married. So I have a, another person to put in the equation with our budgeting. <laughs> so it, it's just, uh, it's always something I find interesting to, um, to see what works best for different people and finding your own way. So that's, um, do you have any more thoughts on that uh, topic of how to do that, <laughs> how, how to best categorize? Well, but I think, you know, you also brought up another point that I think is key, having your spouse on the same page, right? I mean, that we wouldn't have been able to pay off our debt oh, yeah. in such a short period of time if it wasn't for us both being on the same page and then coming up with a budgeting system that worked for both of us. And so I love what you said because it's so true. I mean, earlier um, you said personal finance is personal. And so, you know, some people are a little bit more detail oriented and they got to track every penny. And some people are a little bit more, you know, hey, I just need to be to the closest dollar or closest five bucks and we'll be okay. We'll still achieve our goals. So, you know, for us, it was, it was really kind of figuring out more the girl and guy categories is what I kind of label them as. So girl category would be you know, makeup, um, you know, clothes, like, and I'm not talking about clothes that you need to buy. You're buying clothes just because you, you want them. Accessorizing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, you know, that's the girl stuff. And then guys is like, I like technology and some guys like sports and, you know, so, you know, buying tickets to concerts or whatever it might be. So, we actually set a budget for girl and guy categories that was, I think, the best thing ever because that eliminated the fighting about money because my wife could buy whatever she wanted within those boundaries and I could buy whatever I wanted within those boundaries. And so that really helped us uh, in that process because the the hardest part is people are going to say, gosh, I'd love to do this, but you know, I don't want to fight with my spouse about money. So they avoid it like the plague because they don't want to get in those situations. Well, that was one of the key things. It's just making sure that we each had a category. We, We had some blow money, some girl and guy money to spend. Yeah, good communication on all this stuff is I found is so important. You know, and when you're dealing with your personal finances by yourself, if you make a mistake, you're only accountable to yourself. Unless you have a blog, in which case you're accountable to your readers as well. Because that's something that I always said I, I would do is uh, hold myself accountable for everybody. But when you have a a spouse, you know that's that's someone that you're not just making a mistake with your money; it's their money too. And whether you know, I'm I'm on the opinion that. You know, every dollar earned is is a shared dollar, whether I earn it or my wife earns it. And every dollar spent, I feel the same way. I don't. If I go out and blow a bunch of money on, uh, I don't know, gambling in Vegas, that's not something I have ever done. I mean, I've gone to Vegas and blown money, but not gambling. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's something I would I would feel terrible about. But I know some people don't have that. So having that really good communication, giving yourself. You know, freedom within a certain bound, I think, is is very important uh, when, when dealing with money as a couple. So, in your guy category, would you mind sharing some of your your vices? Any any big purchases you made that you were uh, 
super excited about? <laughs> you know, uh, I'd say at the time it was probably like a PlayStation 3 or something like that, you know. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because I always thought like growing up that video games were for kids. And then I met my father-in-law who is now 71 years old and he has an Xbox 360, you know. And uh, so it was one of those things where it was like, oh, you know, you can have these, these kind of like fun things that you do every once in a while as long as you buy them within your budget, right? Another thing that, that we like to do, and, and this not necessarily guy, but we like to travel. So, you know, we created like a travel category and I've used some of my guy money uh, kind of separate from that. Like if we go and we travel somewhere, like we've been to, um, you know, Paris and, and London and Hong Kong and Hong Kong and Singapore. I said Hong Kong, <laughs> Hong Kong and Singapore. Do you um, play ping pong in Hong Kong? That would have been sweet, but no, <laughs> they would have whooped me, man. Those guys are fast over there. I watched, there was a, speaking of Netflix, there was a Netflix movie. It was really, really bad. I watched lately about a guy, it was called Ping Pong Playa or something. It's, it's a way to not waste two hours, but it was funny-ish. I guess. <laughs> I, hey, you know what? If I got two hours to waste, I'll, I'll check it out. If you want to just totally zone out. That's uh, it, yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy playing ping pong. He's really good. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, and so so sometimes we, we travel to some of these places and, you know, if I wanted something, um, you know, I just use my guy money to buy it and not have to worry about it. So, you know, it really just kind of depends on the person. You know, nowadays, like I bought, <laughs> I bought a smartwatch. Uh, Moto 360 because I'm an Android guy. And uh, I was really disappointed. I mean, like I had that awe factor, like, oh my gosh, this is exciting. Like I can do stuff from my hand instead of pulling my phone out of my pocket. But after like a month of using it, it just, I just didn't use it as much. And so um, now I'm reselling it on Amazon. But, you know, those are just some of the things that I, I spend my guy money on. I've had some similar kinds of purchases. I was really excited. Have you heard of Automatic? It's a, uh, like smart thing you put in your car that feeds your car data to your phone? No, I was thinking of the company that owns WordPress, but no, yeah, tell me more about this. That's, that's automatic with two T's. <laughs> it's oh, okay. automatic with one T. Um, yeah, so it's a, uh, it's a device. It costs a hundred bucks. It's a little gray thing. You know that there's a computer port. Every car since like 1982 or 84, somewhere in the 80s, I think, has one. It's US or foreign made. It's called an ODB2 port. Then you can plug this thing into your ODB2 port. That's the place that your mechanics, when they say, oh, we have to plug into your car's computer, that's how they do it. And it talks to your phone and tells you all this stuff about your car. And I was so excited about it. And after like four days, I was like, oh, so it just tells me this stuff about my car. <laughs> and it was the same thing. It cost 100 bucks. It, at least I was able to write a blog post about it and write it off as a business expense. So, um, but I, I've had those two kind of those fun purchases. My, my big one right now where I definitely had to have a serious budget talk with my wife about. I just started private pilot lessons. Actually have my, uh, my third one coming up this week. So um, th those are very expensive and something, you know, if I were in debt, I would definitely not be able to do this. I'm, I'm, happy to be at a point where I'm no longer able to. But that was a serious conversation going into something that will cost thousands of dollars that I get the primary benefit and my wife does not. So that was um, a, a definitely a, co a conversation that had to be had over time. It was not like one day I walked up to her and said, oh, I think I'm going to start learning how to fly a plane tomorrow. Um, <laughs> that was, so that was a big one. Uh, you know, any big purchase I think is important. So when you um, when you have a big purchase coming up, that you're planning on, whether it's a guy money purchase or a shared purchase, do you have any budgeting techniques that you use to save up or plan for that? 
So I use what I call a countdown fund where, you know, there is an end, oh, pardon me, there's an end goal. And that, that end goal is X amount of dollars, right? And so, uh, for instance, my wife wanted a MacBook Pro and uh, Macs are expensive. That's, I'm a PC guy because I'm a personal finance blogger. I don't know about <laughs> what you are, but... Um, I've had both. Uh, so, so she wanted a MacBook Pro and I was just like, oh, we can't really afford that right now. And so, really, she just put away a hundred and... I think it was like a hundred bucks a month for 15 months. And then she bought a MacBook pro, you know, and it's, it's like one of those things like you think, Oh, that's a big expense. And you know, if you just put together a plan and say, Hey, I'm going to put away this much money a month until I've got the, you know, the entire amount. So uh, the reason why I called a countdown fund is, you know, you starting with your goal is 1500 bucks and you put a hundred bucks away. Now you got 1400 bucks left, 1312 until you have zero left to save and you have the amount that you need. And so really that's the, the method that we use so that we live within kind of our budget and our boundaries. That's yeah, it's actually exactly. I have a, uh, in the closet behind me, I have DJ equipment and I, I have been a nightclub DJ in the past. And that's like when I wanted to start being a DJ, I was looking into it. I actually, all the way back into high school, thought about being a DJ and I was looking, I was like, that stuff costs so much money. How would I ever afford that? And um, as I was paying my debt off, I, I don't think it's possible. I guess it's possible to be super so laser focused on debt. You don't do anything fun while you're doing it. But I don't know if that's sustainable for most people. One thing that I really wanted then was to get a DJ mixer. And the one I wanted was with the speakers and all, it was going to be about $2,000. I did that exact same thing. I budgeted about $200 a month and I saved it and saved it and saved it. And after you know, a little less than a year, I was uh, rocking like Tiesto in my living room. That's <laughs> If you can picture me like boom, 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 boom. I'm picturing it right now, man. I'm picturing it right now. <laughs> it's all fun. So, um, so when you, you and your wife, have you ever had any of those big purchases and you didn't want to save the countdown fund and you just gave in and did it? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to, trying to knock you off the rails a little bit on your, uh, your perfect finance record. I know. Well, I mean, we obviously didn't for like the first 25 years of our lives. So we didn't have a perfect one, but we do, we've had a perfect one for the past like seven years. So um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, you know, it's funny. So we bought a house at the end of last year and I, thanks. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking, you know, I was like, let's put 10% down and then that way we'll, we'll just have more cash uh, on hand if something happens and we'll have a, you know, bigger emergency fund and, you know, and I'm, I'm really more of the mindset of people really should put 20% down and avoid the PMI and, you know, have a lower, you know, expense, you know, your mortgage is lower because you're putting more down and you don't have the PMI. And so I, I was at a crossroads and a buddy of mine uh, who's completely debt free in his 30s, he's like, Deacon, put 20% down. And kind of was like my voice of reason in my ear, right? And so I was about to make like this, you know, decision and uh, I ended up putting 20% down, you know, and so we don't have the PMI and our mortgage is only 985 bucks. And so, you know, if we ever get another recession or my income goes down because I am, you know, self-employed and my income is variable, we're in a better position because we did that. And so, you know, I think even being a personal finance, you know, blogger slash expert, I still face those decisions uh, and struggle with them just like, you know, everybody else does. And I'm just blessed because I'm around a lot of guys like you, Eric, and <laughs> my, my other buddy who kind of whisper in my ear and say, ah, you know, this is what you're telling your audience. Like you were talking about being accountable, being a blogger. Um, you know, I should practice what I preach, right? 
I have a, I don't know if you know Jeff Fruworth from Sustainable Life Blog. He's been on on this podcast a couple times so far, and he's my my buddy. That's my voice of reason. If I'm about to make a stupid financial decision, I usually know it. And I think most people realize when they're about to make a bad decision, you get a little bit of a feeling. So whenever I have a little bit of a feeling on a financial decision, even if uh, you know, even after I talk it out with my wife, I might still send him an IM and say, "Hey Jeff, I'm about to do this," and um, he'll he'll tell me straight up if it's a dumb idea or not. So it's it's nice to have a uh, uh, an accountability buddy or whatever you'd like to call them, someone you can you know. I know, I know a lot of people. You know, we're being pretty open with our finances. A lot of people are very private with them, but I still think it's good to have at least one person you can talk to that's not a parent or a relative, someone who isn't invested in it and can really look at it objectively and tell you, oh yeah, you're making a smart choice or oh no, not such a good choice. And ideally that's someone who also has uh, some finance knowledge and, and has done well and made good decisions. Someone you can you know look up to or at least look to as an equal. Um, you, know, you don't want to ask somebody who has $100,000 in credit card debt for financial advice, or at least I wouldn't want to. <laughs> um, it's great having that accountability uh, partner there. So actually, when we bought our house, we we were faced with a similar decision. Living in Portland, you know, the real estate market here is absolutely nuts. Um, if there was one house that we really liked that came on the market, and within 24 hours before we even had time to put an offer down, there were already four. So when we saw something we liked, we knew we had to come up with a strong offer and a lot of cash. We actually ended up putting down 40%, which um, you know, every, every dollar more you put into your down payment lowers your mortgage payment. So that's something to keep in mind. And you know, as Deacon was just saying, having a, a mortgage payment under $1,000 a month gives you a lot more flexibilities and freedoms. And he also mentioned PMI. For those who don't know, that's called private mortgage insurance. And that's a monthly cost on top of your mortgage payment you make every month if your equity in your home is less than 20%. That's something banks as a standard charge you. So, you know, good choice on the... Uh, on, on making the 20% down payment. I agree with you and your friend. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Yeah. So um, so now you, you mentioned you're self-employed. What Can you tell people how you went from you know delivering pizzas on the side to now working for yourself and uh, running your own business? So, yeah, I never realized that you could make money with a blog. You know, I knew that you could make money with like Facebook, you know, or uh, if I came up with Twitter as an idea or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I had... Inventing I, Facebook, not using Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. Well, some people <laughs> some people use Facebook, but no, we won't go there. Um, it's another discussion for another day. <laughs> yeah. So... So I realized that, you know, I, I had an audience, um, you know, I had a natural organic traffic coming from Google and, you know, I started coming across people, other bloggers that were making money and I'm like, gosh, this is, how do they do that? You know? And so, you know, just reading, uh, whether it's their income reports or maybe them talking about, you know, an affiliate that they have. And I just said, I decided to, you know, research affiliates that I thought would be really good for my audience and that would line up with my values. You know, like I don't want to be selling, um, I'm, I'm the get out of debt guy. So I don't want to be selling like, you know, title loans or, or payday loans or, you know, even credit cards for the most part. Like I, I kind of steer away from those. I don't think they're bad. I just, I, I that's just not something that I, I partner up with. So 
Um, so I found all these types of affiliates, like personal capital that you mentioned earlier, mint.com at, at the beginning, you know, Ally Bank a long time ago. I mean, there's just a bunch of them. Now I do Everbank, but, and they pay me a small commission every time someone signs up for the services. So it's like a win-win. Like I'll talk to someone, I'll say, hey, you, you need a place to park your emergency fund. You should check out Everbank. They're paying 1.2%, whatever, for the first six months. And then after that, it's like 1%. And uh, they're like, oh, that's great. You know? And so it was kind of a win-win deal. And then obviously, as you're probably aware, I've, I've toyed with AdSense and uh, Media.net ads and those kind of things, but they, they don't really pay a lot, but you know, a couple hundred bucks a month here and there. So um, that, and then I started doing an online course in coaching. You know, so I do Skype calls and I do in-person deals. And so uh, really kind of over the years, just developed all these different ways of, of getting income. So I'm not just dependent on one thing. I have multiple different streams of income that kind of provide for our needs. Oh, that's great. That's the thing I think even people with full-time jobs need to keep in mind having multiple income sources. It was actually just about uh, 13 months ago from maybe today the day we're recording or the day this goes live, somewhere in that week. Whenever you hear this, just think it's about a year ago. Um, I was let go from a job very unexpectedly. It was it was a Friday. I went in one day and then they said that it was my last day. And a lot of people would totally freak out in that situation. But because of... You know, I have a business similar to Deacon with my uh, online business through my blog. And I also freelance uh, write and web design on top of that. And having that to fall back on, I knew yeah, I might not be bringing in as much as I was before, but I can at least scrape by on the bare minimum, cover the rent. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go hungry. And we also have plenty of savings. Yeah, I think having a good emergency fund in one of those uh, banks, like you were mentioning, with a good interest rate is a, is a good way to go. So, um, so everyone definitely remember to uh, have multiple income streams just to uh, just in case. You never know if, if it happened to me, it could happen to anybody. And um, you know, it's not a it's not a fun experience, especially if you have to go home and figure out how you're going to pay the rent next week. So well, um, yeah. it's 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 funny you say that because uh, I actually I somewhat got fired from my last job as a financial planner. What happened was my boss. Or no, not my boss didn't do nothing at first. At first, I got an email from this producer in New York City for Fox News. And he said, hey, Deacon, we'd love for you and your wife to be on the show. And I was like, are you serious? Like, you really you want me to be on? They're like, yeah, talk about how you guys paid off your debt and that kind of stuff. So I, I as a financial planner, we're regulated by the SEC, which is, you know, a federal agency. And because of that, uh, I represent the company. And if I'm on new, on the news, and if they were to mention that I worked at this company, I, they'd have my compliance department would have to kind of vet what I say. And so I go to my boss and I tell him, Hey, I've got this really cool opportunity. What do you think? And uh, they're like, Oh, that's really exciting. Let me talk to the corporate office. Well, as soon as they did that, it was like a total change of tone. It was like, well, why are you going to be on TV? Oh, you know, I paid off this debt. And I've, I've got this site where I've kind of, you know, documented our journey and, and kind of helping other people. And they're like, well, your site has uh, ads on it and you're giving financial advice. So you're, you're basically getting paid for giving financial advice is kind of what it came down to. And I was like, well, but I submitted my blog for approval through the compliance department and they did it. And so it was this long drawn out thing. And they're like, well, Deacon, where do you want to be, you know, in the next 10 years? And I was like, really, honestly, like 
I'd rather be helping average people with their finances. And at that, that firm, I was working with high net worth individuals and I was just not fulfilling. You know, I felt like I, I just wasn't meant to be there. And so they, they gave me a, a severance. So, you know, technically fired me, but I kind of told them that's what I'd rather do. And so they're like, well, let's, we'll help you do that. And uh, so kind of like you, like, so here I am, like I have a job one day and then the next day I don't. And I had some income coming in on the side. I built up that emergency fund, um, but I wasn't 100% sure like how everything was going to shake out. Um, and now I make about four times what I made as a financial planner, which is unbelievable. And I never would have imagined that, but I had to take that leap. But like you said, I, I mean, we did a lot of planning in the process, right? We paid off our consumer debt first. We had a, actually like nine months worth of emergency fund, you know, and I had income coming in from my, my blog and my side business already. So um, it wasn't like I, I just quit my job and, and, you know, didn't have any plan. You know, it was, it was coming, but uh, I kind of was forced into it quickly. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very funny situation when I lost my job. I was actually... It was I, unexpectedly, I was kind of grinning as I walked out to the car after the shock wore off and I got my stuff. I was thinking, wow, I can work full time for myself. And um, I think it was two hours after I got home, you know, told my wife, called my parents, you know, told the people who I wanted to know that I, that my employment situation changed. And uh, about two hours later, I got an, a LinkedIn message from a recruiter. And it was a month later, I think to the day. I started my new job and I've actually been there a year now. So I did go back to full-time employment and still do all my, uh, my online income stuff on the side. And I, I, I would never want to give up my side income. I think it's such an, you know, I, I've learned the lesson. You need to have something to fall back on just in case. So um, anyway, so thank you so much, Deacon, for, for being here, sharing your story. It is definitely an inspiration to uh, see how you paid off debt and went to now, you know, working for yourself, buying a, uh, buying a house, putting 20% down, doing the right things. If people want to connect with you, learn more about you, give you a virtual shout out, how should they do that? Yeah, the best way is go to wellkeptwallet.com and click on the start here tab. Uh, and, and that will give them everything that they need to know. And then there's also an Ask Deacon tab. If they have a question, they want to get in touch. I'd love to talk with them. Great. So everyone, please do that. Go Give, uh, give Deacon a tweet or a like or, or any, any of those social network things that you like to do out there. Give him one of those. And um, thank you so much for being here and being a part of it. Listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please, it helps a lot if you go into iTunes or Stitcher, however you listen to podcasts and give a like, a five-star rating if you think I've earned it. If not, please you know, send me a note as well. Let me know. Eric at personalprofitability.com. Tell me what you like, what you didn't, any questions, what I can do better, what I could... Uh, keep doing that you like, you know, just, just reach out and say hello. Don't be shy. And I'm sure Deacon feels the same way for people on his site. So thank you everyone for hanging out with us today. I'm lifting up my beer, giving a cheers to Deacon for joining us and all of you listeners have a wonderful week. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.